0: I'm Max Wiley from the Royal Statistical Society reporting from our annual conference, which this year comes from Belfast. I'm with Guy Miss Campbell, who is the technical lead at the Social Metrics Commission and is delivering a session on the Social Metric Commission's new measure of poverty for the UK. Welcome, Guy. Um, can Thanks you tell for us um, a bit about your talk? Sure. So, um, the session I'm doing today is. Uh, well, it's about this, the work of the Social Metrics Commission, which was an organization that was set up to try and move away from having huge debates about how we'd, move, uh, how we'd measure poverty uh, and actually uh, create kind of a consensus measure so that we could focus on how we solve poverty with an agreed benchmark as to what poverty is. And the session that I'm doing today is an explainer about uh, what steps we've taken, the methodology and the findings that sit behind that. Um, And then it's actually also, I'm I'm joined by a representative from the Department of Work and Pensions who's going to be talking about some of the exciting work they're doing, taking that on as an experimental measure, Uh, and by Tanya Burkhart, who's an academic, who's going to talk really about how that could be deployed and used in research. Um, So it's an exciting session, and I think hopefully demonstrative of something which has gone from kind of pure statistical research into something which will hopefully uh, kind of lead and influence policy. And what are the innovations of the new poverty metric? Sure. So one of the the big issues that people had with the previous way that we measured poverty is it was essentially a measure of inequality, not of poverty. Um, So you were counted as being in poverty if you were below a certain benchmark, which was 60% of the median income. Um, But of course, that median income would change on a yearly basis. And so if, for example, we had a situation where everybody became slightly poorer due to a large recession, but inequality reduced somewhat as a result. Uh, You'd have this kind of perverse result where uh, poverty would decrease even as a recession hit. Um, And so what we've tried to do is we've uh, tried to both broaden the amount of things that we actually care about uh, within the measure, and we've tried to make some methodological changes as well. So the first piece of that is that previously it was just income. So if you were somebody who had Uh, worked as an investment banker, you were on a three-month break in between jobs and you were going to go and become an investment banker, your income in that period might be zero, you'd be surveyed and we'd therefore classify you as being in poverty. Um, So one of the things we've done is we've actually added people's available assets and we want to add the debts that they face as well um, to give a more robust view of the resources that a family has access to. We've also made another of a other, other, uh, number of other adjustments. So, for example, um, if a family faces large inescapable childcare costs, we subtract that from their available resources. Um, and if a family has a disabled person with large amounts of extra needs that they need to spend their money on, uh, we also account for that. So previously, if you received 200 extra pounds a month from the government to help you deal with um, a severe disability, Um, you would be counted as 200 pounds richer and therefore probably not in poverty. We said that was uh, quite a big issue and so we've counted the extra cost of disability. And there are also a number of other smaller adjustments that we've made around that in terms of um, how we calculate the median, what the threshold is, etc. And I can go into those, but I'm aware my answer has been quite long already. So what more can you tell us about the methodology? Sure. So one of the things I mentioned previously was that kind of issue with calculating an in-year median and the fact it would shift. And a lot of what you would interpret as increases or decreases in poverty were actually uh, much, much more relative. Um, the commission agreed that poverty was to some extent a relative state uh, um, concept. So the fact that uh, somebody in poverty now is much, much better off than someone would have been 50 years ago, doesn't stop them being in poverty now. Um, but instead, what we did was we created a benchmark, which was a kind of three year rolling average. So, what that reflects is the fact that um, societal expectations do change. So, as society gets richer, um, the definition of what it means to be in poverty changes slightly. But actually, that takes some time to catch up. And so uh, introducing a three-year rolling average means you get rid of a lot of the kind of um, erratic movements up and down in the poverty measure, and we get a much, much more consistent measure over time. And that's turned up some really, really interesting stuff. So um, I'll go into the findings more in, in, uh, in um, the later section of this interview. But one of the things, for example, it shows is actually we talk a lot about fluctuations in poverty up and down. Over the past probably 10, 15 years, we've made a fairly small dent in the overall level of people in poverty um, and an even smaller dent in the amount of people in persistent poverty over time. Um, And we're kind of really hopeful, actually, that's one of the stories that we can bring out of this is the need to do much more and the fact that we've been spending a lot of time arguing around the edges. Um, A couple of the other things we've done. So um, we've added an adjustment for people who are living in overcrowded housing. So previously people have, um, or previous measures uh, used what was called an after housing cost measure. So we accounted for whether or not you had high levels of rent or high levels of mortgage payments or whatever. Um, there was kind of an issue there in which um, certainly the literature shows you'd have some families who are able to pay their bills. They're not in poverty technically, but that's because they are massively sacrificing on housing. So they're overcrowded, they're living three, four people uh, to a small room, et cetera. Uh, and so one of the other adjustments we did is because the server data allowed us to identify families that might be considered as under- um, underhoused or overcrowded, um, we take the cost that it would cost them to rent an extra bedroom, if so, uh, within their region. And if that amount um, is, uh, kind of, larger than the clearance that they have above the poverty line, we also class them as being in poverty. Um, Another methodological thing we've done is add rough sleepers who wouldn't be uh, captured in the survey data into our total levels of people in poverty. It's a relatively small number, but we thought it was quite important and symbolic. Um, And a final thing we've done um, is, or not a final thing, but a final thing of note, is previously these measures existed on a household basis. So four students living together would be counted as in poverty or not in poverty on the basis of how much they as a household earns. Um, We've moved instead to something we call a sharing unit, which is basically networks of related people within a household. Um, And what that means is that, for example, a family living in a household could not be in poverty, but they could have a lodger that they rent a room to who could be considered to be in poverty. Uh, But it also means, for example, if you have a, a household of three young professionals, one of whom is on an unpaid internship and two of whom are working in uh, you know, well-paid uh, fields, one of those people would be considered as in poverty and the other two wouldn't be. So it provides a more um, kind of discrete view of what household resource sharing might be, which we thought was a really interesting dynamic as well. So that's a bunch of the methodological steps that we've taken. Um, I'll leave it there. And um, can you tell me about your findings? Sure, so I mean, the, the headline figure that gets banded around is um, kind of 14.3 million people this year, 14.2 million people last year in poverty. Um, those who are familiar with the previous poverty metrics would note that that's a very, very similar sum to the HPAI uh, figures. And the rationale for that is really we wanted to focus on what the measure actually told us about the people in poverty rather than focusing on the kind of aggregate level overall. Um, The reason for that being that you fundamentally have to pick a threshold at which somebody is over or under um, the poverty level. It's quite hard to do that in a particularly scientific way. We tried to do that an awful lot in terms of calibrating to what the public might think, et cetera. Um, But the consensus was really to, to match the current measures and to look at the composition. Within that, there are some kind of fascinating things. So the first is that especially once you account for excess savings, and these are, these are not pension savings, they're liquid savings. Uh, pensioner poverty poverty uh, is much, much lower than we thought, but also has fallen substantially in the past four or five years. And that makes sense if we look at um, policy decisions that have been taken. So the introduction of the triple lock. Um, if we look at the effects of the housing market, that group is obviously uh, much, much more likely to be owner occupiers. Um, and so that's a kind of fascinating trend and it actually shows kind of the concerted action that policy targeted at a proper measure can achieve which is really really um, good. Um, child poverty uh, and working age poverty are higher in our mo- measure than uh, they were, would have been under kind of conventional measures and that really reflects a lot of the different uh, adjustments that we've made so uh, child care costs um, accounting for housing costs both of which Punish groups that are less likely to be owner-occupiers and more likely to have children. So that's kind of working families. Um, And uh, the other thing is, I mean, probably the most shocking statistic from the report is I think half of people in poverty, um, or 49%, I think it was, um, are in persistent poverty. They're in poverty now and they've been in poverty for two hours of the past three years which really shows that there's a group that we've, we've struggled to make any uh, kind of concerted action in helping, despite all of the good um, you know, uh, or well-intentioned reforms that have come out through things like the Troubled Families Initiative, et cetera. Um, the other thing to note is that I think it, again, was about half of the people in, uh, that we captured as being in poverty were in households with one or more people uh, who were disabled. Um, and that's something which is very, very different from the previous measures but really captures um, the the extent to which disability can hinder people's um, ability to to live a kind of life that we would deem as acceptable and um, uh, not not in the quality of life, but in terms of the ability to earn enough money, have enough money to meet their needs, etc. And so those are some of the kind of big headline interesting factors. Um, one of the other things we've done is, so the poverty measure, the previous poverty debates had always been about uh, kind of what, how you would actually measure poverty. So is it a purely uh, material thing, or it, could you say that somebody who has low educational attainment, et cetera, is in poverty? And this was a big debate that raged around kind of 2010 to 2012 or so. Um, Our measure is obviously quite materially focused, but it's part of a wider measurement framework that includes a lot of um, different, uh, what we call lived experience indicators. And kind of one of the interesting things there is you can actually see the the the, uh, kind of social factors that are different from families who are in poverty, uh, families who are not in poverty. Uh, And kind of going through those, one of the fascinating things to me is the kind of social connections. So families in poverty and in persistent poverty much less likely to report having wide social networks, much less likely to be members of organizations, et cetera. So there's a, a real kind of richness of flavor that's behind that, which helps point us not just to who's in poverty, but some of the solutions that might be able to come out of that as well. And what are the next uh, steps for the measure? So we were thrilled that a few months ago, the Department of Work and Pensions announced that they're going to be taking it forward as an experimental measure. Um, which basically is the first step towards something becoming an official measure. Um, And it means that DWP are kind of beginning technical work on mimicking the Social Metrics Commission measure. And there's a wave of work that then sits uh, behind that, which is looking at things like whether or not the survey data that um, it's based on, which the uh, Households Below Average Income and Family Resources Survey, whether or not those would need to be adjusted, Um, and then taking It forward, um, kind of quality assuring it, and then hopefully at a later stage making it kind of one of the measures of poverty rather than just one of the suites. So it's a really, really exciting time. We're kind of working hand in glove trying to help DWP, um, and we're also really doing our best actually to work with a wider subsection of people who might want to use this measure. So one of the things we're doing in the coming, coming weeks, I think, I've certainly written all the documentation now is um, actually releasing our code out so anyone uh, who knows how to use statistical software will be able to play around with our measure, see what uh, effects different adjustments we've made have had, and hopefully kind of bring it into the wider research agenda that's going on into poverty rather than it just being something that we're holding on to. Okay, great. And where can people go uh, to find out more? So, our website is socialmetricscommission.org.uk. I think it's.org.uk anyway. They can Google Social Metrics Commission if not. Uh, and that has the 2018 report and the 2019 report. Uh, the 2018 report, it being our first year, has much, much more on the methodology. Um, and that's also a place where we've got a data explorer that people can use, um, bios of the commissioners, information about the process um, that we went through. Uh, and it's the place that we will eventually have uh, links to the data so that they can actually get and use it as well. Um, the other thing to say is that um, myself, my colleagues, Matthew Oakley and Emily Harris are all very active on Twitter, and we're always poking uh, our noses into debates on poverty and social, and especially mentions of the Social Metrics Commission. So you can find us or the Social Metrics Commission Twitter address as well, um, which is twitter.com forward slash socmetrics.com. And uh, we we try to be helpful there as well. Okay, great. Thank you so much for talking to me, Guy. Thanks Um, for having me.